Hi everyone, uh, it's me, Marshall, a producer, and there this week a guest host on the MMCast. Uh, this week we're talking all about Lord of the Rings, uh, Tales of Middle-Earth, a new exciting set, and specifically we're talking about it for the Artisan Commander format. Um, I, as you know, I'm a huge proponent of Artisan Commander, which is Commander without any rares, no mythics, no rares. This includes your commander. Your commander needs to be one of the uh, lots of in- increasingly numerous choices of uh, uncommon legends that are out there. And in fact, in this set, we got 40 new ones, four zero new legendary creatures. Uh, so while Alex and Ben are gone this week, I'm joined uh, as a with a special guest host of uh, Mavis, who is a, a prolific deck brewer and contributor to the Artisan Discord, which uh, please join the Artisan Discord. It, the link to join will be in the show notes and uh, in the description below the episode. But uh, yeah, so uh, howdy, Mavis. Howdy, howdy. So Mavis, how did you first hear about uh, Artisan? How did you, what brought you into the format? Uh, so I... I've been playing EDH for about seven odd years now, and I deep dived into the PEDH scene, just commander with just commons, but they could use any uncommon creature as a commander. But I found that format to have a little bit of a repetitive card pool, and it doesn't feel like EDH. It's its own little little theme. So I was trying to replicate the EDH experience without just going to all these staples and bomb rares and all of that. So I stumbled across Artisan a couple of years ago before it was like a codified theme. And then when Marshall News started to really push it on Twitter, I renewed my interest in it. And at that time, there's a lot of new uncommon legendaries being printed. And it's just a rabbit hole I haven't gotten out of yet. It's been a ton of fun. So yeah, as we were mentioning, there are 40 new uncommon legends and I'm Pretty grateful to Wizards uh, for the fact that they decided, you know, there are several very important characters who go through story arcs throughout the Lord of the Rings. And so rather than trying to cram everything that is Frodo Baggins or everything that's Gandalf onto one card, they're like, hey, let's give them four, five, six cards and we're going to spread it out across the rarities. So all the major players uh, in the Lord of the Rings story got at least an uncommon version so if you are excited about building around your favorite Lord of the Rings character and in the artisan format, you've got one. Um, so there are, like, not aside from the legendary creatures, there's also a ton of common and uncommon cards in this set that are pretty exciting, um, uh, going to be very fun to, to throw into our, uh, our artisan decks. And so anyone who's new to the artisan format, um, you know, Mavis was talking about this desire to to have a version of Commander with a restricted card pool, but still feels like Commander. And I think Artisan does a really good job of that because Uncommons are, in many cases, they feel like the rares of yesterday. Uh, they can be pretty complicated. They can do cool and interesting things. And this set is filled with a lot of very cool and interesting Uncommons, especially uh, for these legends. I think we'll start right off the bat by talking about some of the... Um, themes that are present in the set and the fact that uh, several of the themes get uh, legendaries to support them and for for people who've been following the artisan 
format for a while, there are a few legends that are like, oh, finally, we got like a really good legend to lead this. And the the thing that really comes to me, there are two that really come to me around this. One is Theoden, King of Rohan, uh, who is a red-white legendary human. He costs uh, one red and white for two, three. When Theoden, King of Rohan, or another human enter the battlefield under your control, target creature gains double strike until end of turn. So uh, there's a lot of like Humans Matters cards, but there haven't really been uh, a, hey, play a lot of Humans legend at Uncommon until Theoden. And then this set is filled with a lot of good Humans and cards that care about Humans. And um, giving Double Strike is no joke, especially if you're giving it to a creature that is uh, hard to block, maybe a creature that is your ring bearer. Uh, what do you think about Theoden? I like him. Uh, he highlights something I really appreciate about how they've designed a lot of the cards in this set, which is usually when you have your tribal cards, your type matters cards, they'll they'll usually have them just care about that. Theoden is really interesting because you care about humans, but it's not give target human double strike. You give anything double strike, which means it makes it feel much more synergistic to splash non-human cards to make the deck kind of come together better so you're not only reliant on the tribe which you'll still just want to mostly run humans but the fact that that gives you some additional flexibility goes a long way when we're dealing with restrictive card pools and i really appreciate that about him yeah uh, going with him, there's two mono-red legends that care about humans, uh, Aomir of the Rittermark and Urkenbrand, Lord of Westfold. And that, along with a bunch of other cards that are in the set, really kind of set up humans at the common and uncommon level as caring about making a lot of humans, especially a lot of human tokens, and just going wide. Um, which is kind of interesting with Theoden, because he then gets double strike to just singular creatures, but there are obviously big humans, and Double Strike makes a creature very hard to block on top of making them hit very hard. Like, Double Strike is kind of the ultimate damned if you do, damned if you don't creature ability. Um, and he's cheap, you know, three mana for a 2-3 body uh, that does something as soon as he enters the battlefield. Like, I, I love that he's not just an attack trigger. He he attack affects the turn that you play him. There are two other legends in different colors that care about humans. Um, there is Denethor, the ruling steward, and Prince Imrahil the Fair. Um, so let's see. Dunathor is, uh, he's an Orzov legend. He costs one, a white, and a black for a 2-4. At the beginning of your end step, if a creature died under your control this turn, create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. Which is pretty sweet. That means he can probably make that token every turn. Because his second ability is pay two and sacrifice another creature. Each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. He's a 2-4. So clearly an aristocrat's commander, but it's interesting that he is a human. He makes humans, so he can be a payoff for some of your tribal human stuff. Um, in this set, a lot of the best tribal human stuff happens to be in red, though. Um, so this guy's more like either a role filler in another uh, aristocrat's deck, like perhaps Ellis Ilkor, who's Probably the strongest aristocrats, at least for Orzov, that the format has. Having an aristocrat in the command zone is pretty backbreaking. Yeah. It's cool that he's both Denethor a sack is... outlet and a fuel outlet. Mm -hmm. One thing that I do 
appreciate about Denethor is the fact that you're still paying two mana to draw a card each turn, but it is draw a card. Um, something that you can struggle with in Artisan is just having a density of draw effects that still feel synergistic. Oh, so he doesn't draw this cards. kind of deck, you're always <laughs> going to have some. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, I get mixed up with the other one. There's uh, another another human that draws cards when stuff dies. Um, no, he just spits stuff out. Yeah, no, he's sweet. I yeah. don't think he quite is strong. He's not quite as strong as Ilias Elcor, but yeah. he's definitely a role filler that goes in a number of lists. Yeah. Just having the ability to repeatedly accrue value is something that goes a long way. Yeah. Why don't you talk about uh, which was the one that you were talking about just now? The card draw. Okay, so uh, legend. I was thinking, yes. So this one's real interesting because it was in mono white, but it's Faromir, Field Commander. Similar mm-hmm, templating yeah. with at the beginning of your end step, if a creature died under your control this turn, draw a card. And this is the kind of card you're looking to put in that style of deck as well, because if you're going to have all these disposable little bodies and you want to be sacrificing them, having any way to repeatedly accrue that into card advantage is going to help get you through the long game. And then even just having this on a mono white commander means you could be incentivized to do like go wide white weenies style strategies. Um, and just any text that says draw a card on a commander is something to take note of. They did that a few times this set, so this is it's good to see it in colors that aren't just blue. Yeah. And it also yeah. goes in and supports that larger humans archetype. Yeah, he obviously would do great in both King Theoden and if you played Denethor. Mm-hmm. Uh and then the uh the third one we were talking about, Prince Imrahil the Fair, is pretty basic. He's a two-two for blue and a white. When you draw your mm-hmm. second card each turn, create a one-one white human creature token. Obviously, Imrahil and Faramir work really well together because if mm-hmm. a creature dies mm-hmm. under your control, you're going to be drawing your second cards. You're going to be getting your 1-1. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of an interesting uh, thing to think about. If you wanted to play blue-white humans, uh, it's probably worth it to talk at this moment. So for anybody who's new to the Artisan format and you're like, oh my gosh, this is pretty exciting. One of the interesting restrictions about uh, the format is there are very few three-color commanders. There are no four- and five-color commanders in the format. So most most decks are just one and two colors. Uh, New Capenna gave us the first real cycle of um, shard commanders. But otherwise, we're, just, we're dealing with two color and one color. So, uh, you know, you, you can't play Prince Imrahil and Theoden or Denethor all in the same deck together. It's just you're going to have to pick one of them. But it is very sweet that Faramir fits in all of them and fits all three of their strategies. They all want to be sacking dudes or attacking with dudes and being able to draw an extra card every turn is pretty sweet. He also has text that may or may not be relevant to your deck. Faramir also says, when the ring tempts you, if you choose a creature other than Faramir as your ring bearer, you get to create a human soldier creature token. So some fun, like, little trinket text. I mean, it's kind of cool that now when you're judging Ring Tempts You cards, know that each one of them, if he's in play, has the writer of Make a 1-1, which is kind of sweet. This might be a good point to talk about the Ring Tempts You as well. Yeah. Well, I haven't had experience playing with it yet. My girlfriend went to one of the recent Command Fests for Lord of the Rings and got a lot of on-the-ground experience with the Tempt mechanic itself. 
Uh, what's and your feedback on it? There's some interesting elements to it. It's okay. It's not quite as strong as the initiative. So it's not something you just throw in any deck, but the fact that it essentially makes you an emblem equipment that then will start giving skulk and loot. And if you ever get to that final point where it's a drain three for each opponent when you deal combat damage, they're just all very small, solid effects that, well, a little underwhelming will play much nicer than you ever think they're going to play. Because mm-hmm. in Commander, where you have three other players, Skulk is almost always going to have some relevant attacking target to slip through. Looting is mm-hmm. just going to get you to your next piece of action. And then that drain, if you stack it a few tr- triggers in a row, you're talking about a swing of six, nine, twelve points of life, and that does change games. So yeah. while the Reen tempts you isn't necessarily a mechanic that you'll build completely around if you find yourself looking at a density of the effects and creatures that turn sideways it's just going to help your game go smoother and i'm real interested to see where it ends up settling uh the trickiest part is i don't think you play just one or two the ring tempts you effects you need to be on a density of the effects to try to get the payoff yeah well and speaking of density of the effects so there are a few commanders that uh, that were printed that actually do cause the ring to tempt you. Um, and three of them allow you to do it multiple times pretty easily. So there's Gollum, Patient Plotter, Frodo Baggins, and Bilbo, Retired Burglar. Uh, Gollum is mono black. He's a 3-1 for two that when he leaves the battlefield, the ring tempts you. And while he's in your graveyard, you can pay a black and sack a creature to return Gollum from your grave to your hand as a sorcery. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily strong enough, but it's kind of interesting that he's like a sack outlet, and because the ring's going to get you up to that loot effect, maybe he's a mono black reanimator legend. Uh, but the other two are a bit more interesting. Frodo Baggins costs a green and a white for a 1 3. Whenever he or another legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, the ring tempts you. And as long as Frodo is your ring bearer, it must be blocked if able, which is pretty relevant for that third level of the ring that essentially gives them sort of slow death touch to the ring bearer. But obviously Frodo with his wording, if you're playing like green, white legends, you're going to get to max ring pretty quick. Uh, And then Frodo makes a pretty decent ring bearer. If your goal is to kill dudes who can block his tiny. (laughs) So (laughs) it's funny. that kind of a push pull of those things. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then um, probably the most interesting of the repeatable ones is uh, Bilbo, retired burglar, who's a one, a blue and a red for a one three. When he enters or leaves the battlefield, the ring tempts you. And when Bilbo deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure. So uh, obviously this is pretty spicy with blink effects because just a single blink will get you to the third level of the ring. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, Bilbo himself is not, like, bananas, but it's cool that he's, like, mm-hmm. actively pushing you towards the top level of the ring and does you gives you a little bit of a payoff mm-hmm. in addition to the other little payoffs you'll get from uh, the ring. What do you think about the retired burglar? I like this kind of card. It's It pushes your deck building in a direction that isn't the most intuitive thing, which is he's your enabler in the command zone. 
So he'll do all your little effects for you. He'll give you some ramp. He'll give you some draw. He'll give you some chip damage and accruing value. So it's on the deck to have like an actual top end as opposed to having your commander bridge you over. <laughs> and in that case, like a billow deck is always going to be taking game actions and that's a very strong thing you could do in magic. It's just up to the deck brewer and how you plan to translate that to a victory. So yeah. Bilbo has all of the right text. It's just a question of whether or not you're finding the right top end for him. That's sort of the interesting, I think, even across the rarities with all the legendary halflings, um, like the partner pair of Frodo and Sam that's in the commander deck. I've played against that deck a couple times, and very quickly Frodo becomes a really strong value engine, gaining life and drawing cards. But because he's only chipping in for one, and then eventually one plus the three life loss across the board, like these halflings in and of themselves are not really going to win you the game, but they're like, we'll give you value and you figure out mm-hmm. how to win the game. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which is someone who's constantly brewing decks. This kind of commander is just very intriguing because it operates on an axis of the game that feels very different because it's not immediately mm-hmm. giving you cards and it's not immediately giving you a win con and this is something that i find shows up in artisan a little bit more but it really pushes your brewing brain to make you think about okay well what performed really well when i was in this draft what's a card that i used to like that's been power crept what's and now you're trying to navigate the battlefield in a way that isn't just slamming haymakers Mm. and i do like that a lot of the small small commanders in this will give that sense of challenge because they're the kind of commanders that don't really excite you immediately. And then a card comes out two years from now and you're like, hold on a sec, this, this might actually make that Bilbo deck work. So they've got a real stickiness to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on a point that really is what drew me and keeps me interested in artisan is if you're a habitual deck brewer, um, artisan gives you a completely new axis. It gives you fresh eyes to look at so many cards um, mm-hmm. and especially, you know, like we are talking about a bunch of legends that all the major commander content creators, like nobody's been talking about hardly any of these because they're not going to hang with the prosh and Corvolds and mm-hmm. Atraxas of the world, but they are interesting that like, if you are a lover of the game, just itself, they do fun, interesting things within the context of the game and they aren't. I mean, obviously, some of these legends are like that. I don't want to. I don't want to build with them. But uh, a lot of them are interesting enough that, like, I would love to like brew around them and then see how who I can hang with against. And even artisan decks, I I definitely played artisan against full power commander decks. I've managed to win some games, and it does have more of the. If you're also a person who's been playing commander since it was called EDH, like the sort of battle cruisery style, like nickel and diming value out of every card sort of uh, challenge of the original uh, format is still very much alive and well in uh, artisan because it, artisan is so much more about accrued value over time as then as you mm-hmm. say than than playing haymakers that's something uh, a lot of my local pods as well <laughs> there are more mm-hmm. or less people who just are doing other things magic isn't the primary hobby so whenever they have a deck they're much less enfranchised players, so they know the game, they're good at the game, but then they'll just kind of, like, have a deck where sometimes you get got by giant growth. 
And <laughs> just having an artisan deck for that makes you feel like you're never punching above your weight class. And usually, in the case of someone who's like a really enfranchised magic player like I am, it puts you almost at like this level playing field because now you have to take all of this game knowledge and all of this stuff where you're pretty used to intuiting board states and other people just aren't quite there. And now you've handicapped yourself. And that's something that's really appealing about bringing out artisan decks against non-artisan decks because any victory you have feels earned. Not a single card you had just ran away with the game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also fun because like there is a, a competitive, like a CDH end to artisan. Like there can be to any, like you give people any, you know, we're going to do Ravnica block constructed. There will be people who push it and find like, what's the strongest <laughs> thing you can do in Ravnica block constructed. And so, uh, you know, this set, there are a lot of uncommons that are super powerful, like demonic tutor, demonic consultation, mm -hmm. mana drain mm -hmm. and that, and force of will and stuff. were all uncommon. So it's not like the format is completely underpowered, but it's more like the mm -hmm. tools are very powerful, mm -hmm. but then the win cons tend to be less so. So mm -hmm. you're required to like, you know, play the angles, figure out like you're, it's really important for you to know how your deck is supposed to win. Um, so as you say, like with Bilbo, Bilbo is not likely how you win. So you have to figure out like, how is my blue red deck going to win once Bilbo is looting cards, making treasure? Yes. He's my little mm -hmm. engine of value, but I'm putting together either a storm combo or I'm putting together some big, pile of dragons who knows there's a few other themes that get highlighted obviously one of them is food we've got uh five legends that care about food two mono white two mono green and one green white the green white one is butterbur brie and caper he's two a green and a white for a three three human peasant the beginning of your instep if you don't have a food create a food uh then in white we have bill the pony and uh, Rosie Cotton, and then in green we have Meridoc and Peregrine. It's really important. Mm -hmm. Meridoc and Peregrine have so much synergy with one another that you wish they had partner, but obviously <laughs> they just go in each other's 99 if you're playing yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like Butterbur, as like the legend that ties them together, doesn't do anything if you're piling up foods, which is a lot of times what the decks want to do. Mm -hmm. So it, there's a lot of tension there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, the halflings and foods kind of work together and kind of don't. Um, there's definitely, there's a density of halflings that if you want to do, do oops, all halflings and just have them all do their own little synergy. It's that's a deck that will get there. But then also individually, I think each each commander is just having a different different ask with what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, something that really stuck out with me with Butterbur is he doesn't look like it initially, but he's essentially a soul sister in the command zone. Because you're spitting out a food mm. at the end of your turn, mm -hmm. and then you crack that, and then you're gonna get all your life gain values. So this is the sort of deck where you like, and we already have, um, we already have a deck in the format that's like Voltron Soul Sisters, but this provides more of a value Soul Sisters. So there's there's stuff like an enchantment. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's whenever you gain three life, make it's at the end of your turn if you've gained three or more life, 
make a griffin to, to oh, yeah, fire. It's like griffin eerie or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So even though like Butterbird doesn't seems it's pretty restrictive and you're only getting one food per turn, he could still stand on his own. And once mm-hmm. you start stacking up and just treating it like a life gain deck. And I think that's a real interesting element. No, I, I yeah, I like what you're saying. So like Butterbur is more of like a life gain commander, just happens to do it via food. So maybe Bill and Rosie and Peregrine and Meridoc actually go in with Frodo Baggins, the pre what we previously talked about, and we just think about Frodo, who's gonna quickly who who loves the idea of playing four food related legends right off the top. Um and so he's going to be doing your ring bear thing. He's going to be looting through your deck and doing that sort of thing. Meanwhile, Peregrine and Meridoc and Rosie and Bill the Pony are like <laughs> doing food synergies in the background. Yeah. Um, Rosie Cotton deserves a whole bit being talked yeah, why don't about you talk herself. About, uh, she's arguably the strongest commander card in this set. Um, not because she's strong as a commander herself, though she would be real solid if you just start stacking up tokens and building a very tall threat but one of the things that you'll migrate to as you were touching on in artisan is if you're tryharding artisan if you're going into the combo the kind of c edh side of the artisan format is one of the easiest combos to put in decks is ivy lane denison combos which ivy lane denison is a ravnica four drop which says whenever a green creature enters the battlefield put a counter on a creature you control. And then that goes infinite with either Scurry, Oak, or Herd Bayloth, because whenever you put a plus one, plus one counter on them, you make a token, and then you get another counter and you repeat this loop. Rosie Cotton is real noticeable because she's just a second Ivy Lane Denison. So when you're trying to build these decks that can also combo going infinite with Scurry, Oak, or Herd Bayloth, Rosie Cotton just provides this redundant effect. She's cheaper. She has some notable upside with triggering off of any token, not just a green creature, which is deck-dependent, but it's a notable difference. And then, if you're getting real, real into the weeds with trying to do this combo, one of the uncommon tutors we get is Time of Need, which is one in a green, search for any legendary creature, put it in your hand, sorcery speed. So having this effect stapled on a legendary creature, even in the 99, is just an additional synergy. Yeah, it's also spicy that she starts the combo the turn you play her. So if you've got your herd Bayloth in play, you cast Rosie Cotton, you go infinite. Um, so now we're talking about like, okay, so this, uh, so this Frodo Baggins uh, <laughs> food deck just gets to play Scurry Oak and herd Bayloth in the ninety nine along with Time of Need. See, and this is how you do it, folks. This is <laughs> this is the the brewers, but you start going, oh man, and then I get to play this, and this comes together. It's a lot about finding like what are those really awesome signpost uncommons from your favorite draft format, because there probably is a really cool artisan deck that features those signpost uncommons. Okay, moving on from food, a legend I'm really excited to brew around, and we've been talking a lot on the mm-hmm. uh, artisan Discord about is. Uh, all the support for orcs and goblins in the Rakdos color pair that this set got. Uh, we got two legends that are in the Rakdos colors. There is Malher, the Urukai captain, and Ugluck of the White Hand. Malher, Urukai captain, costs a red and a black for a 2-2 orc soldier with menace. 
If one or more plus one plus one counters will be put on an army, goblin, or orc you control, put that many plus one instead. So that's just pretty spicy right off the back. Like, hey, it's hard in scales, but for your uh, the creatures you're going to be playing, your orcs, goblins, and armies, and stapled onto a two mana two two with menace. So he's just all around great stat line, very cool, very strong, very rare feeling effect at uncommon. Um, and then Ugluck is. Uh, he's a four mana, three, three orc soldier. When another creature you control dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on Ugluck of the white hand. If that creature was a goblin or orc, put two on Ugluck instead. So clearly they have synergy with each other. If Ugluck is seeing things die while Mauher is in play, Ugluck's going to be getting fat really fast. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, I think the, the power really comes. I mean, I love a cheap commander and this effect on Mauher is really cool. And, and honestly, there have been lots of strong goblin tribal cards for the format prior to now, but there hadn't been really a standout home run Rakdos uh, goblin legend. Um, you know, some people had played around with like Gut, Trueborn Zealot, and uh, the recent version of Garna was cool, but she was a human, not a goblin. Yeah, none of them say goblin on the card, aside from maybe the card type. So, uh, but here we have it with Mauher, and uh, uh, it really plays into the Amass Orcs effect, which are on a lot of cards here. In fact, a few of the other legends care about it. There's a mono-red legendary goblin, Grishnak, Brash Instigator, a three-mana 1-1 that when it enters the battlefield, you Amass Orcs too, and then until end of turn, you can gain control of a non-legendary creature with a power less than or equal to the Amassed Army's power, untap it, gains haste. So that's a pretty sweet little effect. Um, and then there's Gorbag of Minas Morgul, who's very exciting. He's a two-mana, two-two orc soldier. When a goblin or orc you control deals combat damage to your player, you may sacrifice it. When you do, draw a card or create a treasure token. So all of your little goblin tokens, your if you have just a pithy 1-1 army token, you can cash it in for a card or for ramp. And it's all on a 2-2 two, two for two body, which is very spice. Very, very spicy. And uh, it was actually you who pointed out that uh, thanks to this set now, like already part of the draw of trying to find a goblin uh, of proper Rakdos goblin uh, commander is the format already had combos involving murderous red cap, who's a four mana two, two goblin with persist that says when it enters the battlefield, he deals damage equal to its power to target to any target. And Mm -hmm. so, Persist combos involve, obviously, trying to find a way to put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature that's already persisted so that it can persist again because the counters counter each other out. And we got a few cards like Thran Vigil recently that allowed you to go infinite if you had a sack outlet. So it's like, okay, we've got this infinite combo. It's on a goblin. Clearly, Rakdos goblins should shoehorn these in here. But uh, uh, you actually pointed out on the Artisan that there's... a at the Artisan Discord, that there's another uh, new combo that is opened up by a couple of cards in the set. So why don't you go over it? Yes. So what's real exciting with this one is this is a combo specific to a Mauer or Urukai Captain. Because since he has that hardened scale effects for armies, orcs, and goblins, when you're putting together this deck, you'll already want to look at the Amass cards. There's a real notable one, Warbeast of Gorgoroth, 
which is four and a red. It's a beast. It's a five, four. And the text that you care about is when it enters the battlefield or another creature you can, sorry, not enters the battlefield. It's when it or another creature with four power or greater dies, you amass orcs two. So you get this really cool synergy that turns into a combo where Mauher already buffs those creatures, making it essentially an amass three, which is just one below the threshold to keep looping that with a sack outlet. So any sort of pump effect with like heraldic banner, first day of class, which feeds into the persist combos, anything that lets you just start putting counters on stuff or buffing the power, which is something you want in this kind of aggro combo deck anyway. Suddenly you just have this really clean combo that's specific to the commander himself which just feels real special as a brewer when you have something that only ever works in one specific deck and the card's never going to see out play outside of that. I also really dig it because um, I love a four or more piece combo Mm -hmm. where one, because whenever it's that many pieces, I I don't feel any sort of badness when it all comes together and I win. Like it sucks when it's just one card plus my commander is an infinite. (laughs) Like that's, that's yeah. That's dumb. Okay, we get it. You, you, big brain. But when it's like, I have these three cards plus my commander, it makes it infinite. Then it's just like, oh, way to put it together. But I also love that, like, Mauher's good. War Beast of Gargaroth seems good in a Mauher deck anyway. Um, and, um, and as you, you know, as, and like, we're already going to be playing Red Cap and that sort of thing. So, and there are Anthem effects that we'd be playing anyway, because we're going to be playing all the, dragon fodders and hordling outbursts and stuff so you want to be pumping up those ineffectual goblins so the fact that all of the pieces would already be in the 99 and the fact is well if you happen to put them all together then you also could just combo off and win right now <laughs> and that's that's real appealing too because as i play a lot of combo decks i play a lot of non-combo decks and whenever you're playing just a combo deck you never want to run out your combo until you have it all together so if you just have your pieces do stuff leading up to it, it just makes the play experience feel so much nicer because then a partway assembled combo isn't like half of your hand is dead cards. It's nope, you just play it out. And if you get there, you get there. And if you don't, it still impacts the board. It's just the right sweet spot. Right. And if you're playing against people who haven't played against the deck before, it's also not super obvious, mm-hmm. right? Like they wouldn't mm-hmm. like you're going mm-hmm. to be playing a mass cards and you're going to be playing goblin like goblin bombardment's <laughs> great it, it's one of the all-stars of the format right mm-hmm. so no one's going to be like oh no like mavis is putting the combo together it's just like well they're just playing the cards that they'd be playing you know uh so yeah it's a it's a real spicy one i'm this is probably one of the two commanders from this set that i'm most mm-hmm. interested in building around uh for the artisan format um and so I was, when you put that combo together, I was uh, very appreciative. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, the other commander that I'm interested in uh, is part of another uh, uh, kind of draft theme, and that is Scry. So blue and green in this set are really focused on Scry. The elves are really focused on Scry. And uh, we get two uh, dual-colored legends that care about um scrying and they are uh arwen undomio Mm -hmm. and legolas counter of kills 
So Arwen is a two mana two two. When you scry, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. You can pay six mana to scry two. So she's sort of like a little scry lord payoff. But then the one I'm excited about is Legolas, Counter of Kills. So uh, Legolas is a four mana, two, three with reach, elf archer. Whenever you scry, if Legolas is tapped, you may untap it. Do this ability only once each turn. And whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, puts a plus one, plus one counter on Legolas. So it's cool that there's a payoff for killing your opponent's creatures, making your dude bigger and bigger. I also dig that he has reach and an ability to untap, so he can both attack and then, as he's getting increasingly bigger, being a really nice wall against uh, your opponents attacking you. But also being able to untap once a turn, every time you scry, suddenly turns effects like opt and deliberate into like combat tricks, which are really neat. It makes it very hard for people to attack into you because like if you're sitting there with one or two mana untapped, they're like, well, what if they scry and untap Legolas? Then I'm going to get... <laughs> and then there's a few cards, like the the most uh, bananas is Oracle's Insight, which is this uh, barely mm-hmm. used aura from Theros block that uh, gives enchanted creature tap, scry one, and draw a card. So if you enchant Legolas with this, Ooh. basically once a turn, you get to scry one and draw a card, <laughs> and then he'll untap himself. And so every turn, you just get oh, to do that's this. that's a good one. Yeah, so Legolas plus uh, Oracle's Insight is drawing you four extra cards per turn cycle. You're you're scrying through mm-hmm. your deck, um, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's pretty spicy. You also can like play around with like enchanting or equipping Legolas with uh, cards that allow him to tap to deal damage. So you can like tap, kill a creature, get bigger, then scry and untap. Um, so. Normally, I stay away from Simic because uh, Simic is just so busted <laughs> in, in Commander in general. Um, so when a, I like when a legend in the Simic colors asks me to care about something other than just ramping and drawing cards. Uh, so what about you? What are some uh, legends we haven't talked about that uh, really excite you? So you mentioned her, but the other Simic commander, real appealing Arwen. to me. Arwen? Okay. Uh, so one of my personal little things I've been working on is Artisan has a narrow enough card pool, but it's broad enough to keep it interesting that I've been accruing and making at least online lists for every single four or less card combo and having a deck that I feel good about running that in just as a little project towards figuring them all out on the lines. Arwin mm-hmm. opens up new Scurry Oak combos. Because there's a few cards that say whenever a creature enters the battlefield, scry one. And Arwen now combos that with Scurry Oak and her Bailoffs. But back to what I was saying about earlier with also having your cards do things outside of that. When you're not comboing, you're just playing a Simic plus one plus one counters, big creature deck. All your ops are suddenly putting counters on creatures. You're scrying constantly, so you're never going in. You're never drawing cards that you don't want to draw. And it's one of those decks that seems to make itself once you see all the pieces, but at the same time, the play experience for it seems real alluring. Mm. And then she does have that handy little mana sink, which I think if you're ever activating that, you have absolutely nothing else going on. But it's nice to have an insurance policy. Well, and I like that in that in this set, we have Elrond, Lord of Rivendell, one of those 
parts of that combo you're talking about. So Elrond is a 3-2 for 3 blue elf noble. Then whenever Elrond or another creature enters the battlefield, you get to scry one, and if this is the second time this ability resolves, the ring tempts you. Um, so uh, that's pretty cool. And Elrond obviously goes into, if you're, if you're building any uh, blue, uh, any deck that cares about the ring tempting you like Bilbo, Elrond seems pretty good in that deck. Yeah. It's pretty funny that you could play Elrond on turn three, then play Bilbo on turn four, and then like Essence Flux Bilbo, and you immediately have a level four ring. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Bilbo is your ring bearer. <laughs> That's pretty bananas. And then it's pretty fun. The other commander that really excites me is when I'm not figuring out combo decks, my guilty pleasure is just having a big creature and giving it vigilance. And then mm. you just have a blocker while you're attacking. It pushes the game forward while keeping you a little turtled up. And there's mm-hmm. a commander, um, Eowyn, Lady of Rohan, which is perfect for this because she just lets, she is one in a two in a white or a two four human noble. At the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature of your choice gains first strike or vigilance, and then if the creature's equipped, it gets both. And that's until end of turn. So just having the ability to play kind of like a big white deck, and you just start putting down big flying creatures that might not have vigilance or might not have first strike, and you just you're just making your creatures that are already decent good enough to push them over the edge to make them legitimate threats. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a deck that I'm definitely looking forward to putting together and putting a few reps in. Yeah, I'm pretty hyped for Aowen in most even just regular powered equipment decks. Like reducing the equip costs and both first strike and vigilance are really good abilities to have in any equipment based deck. And she's decently she's a decent body as a as a two four for three. She also has a really interesting element to her reduction of the equipability, which is not something we see very often. Uh, the last card that I could think of that we've seen that on that could be played in a commander-esque position is the War of the Spark Nahiri. And Tiny mm-hmm. Leaders, it's a small aside, has a Nahiri list based around the synergy of making Skull Clamp a zero-equip artifact. And then you get Skull Clamp Storm. Ooh. Oh yeah, yeah you Eowyn. just start spitting out a bunch of tokens, and then you just free equip Skull Clamp, and you start drawing your deck until you get to whatever you actually want to win with. And Aowen lets spicy. you do that too. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like, but it exists. Well, it's out there. It's out there, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone more dedicated than I will figure it out. Uh huh. Mm. Uh, the other uh, another commander yeah. that really sticks out from this set for me mm-hmm. is it, it got to squint a little, but Gimli Counter of Kills, the parallel of Legolas Counter of Kills, mm-hmm. as he's a four mana three and a red trample four three. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, he get he deals one damage to that creature's controller. So this is a mono red Sir Conrad. And as someone who who plays a lot of Sir Conrad, that deck kind of just wins on its own. People develop a board, you play your commander, someone board wipes, and then suddenly players die. Mm-hmm. And Gimli gives you the option to do this 
button red, which is really exciting because it opens up this kind of like red control aristocrats style deck, which just hasn't existed in the format before. You haven't had a notable enough payoff for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also cool that he has inbuilt trample. So he, while you're controlling the board, maybe with things like pyrohemia or uh, pyroclasm, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You can also just pick up some big equipments and be swinging in. And even when your opponent's chump block, they're going to take damage from the chump and he tramples so they can't even chump block effectively. Yeah, he definitely seems like a uh, the game goes fast when Gimli is someone's commander. Yes. Uh, so before we leave the legends, the last one that I feel like really needs to be talked about is Shadowfax, the Lord of Horses. Uh, Shadowfax costs three, a red and white for a four, four horse that says horses you control have haste. And whenever Shadowfax attacks, you may put a creature card with lesser power from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. So a lot of people, when this came out, just talked about like, oh, we have a legendary horse lord. Um, but I think <laughs> the fact that it give, that Shadowfax gives that to all horses is sort of like obscuring the fact that Shadowfax has haste and Shadowfax sneaks in attacking any creature with smaller power than it, which is huge and not really anything that we've seen especially not an artisan before, but basically Shadowfax is like a sneak attack in the command zone. But then the creature you sneak in doesn't get sacrificed at end of turn. So Shadowfax can, you can pump up its power with any number of equipments and stuff. It means obviously in the right colors for equipments. And then you're just sneaking in big, scary things and you can sneak them in the turn that you play Shadowfax because Shadowfax also has haste. Mm-hmm. It's Shadowfax is sweet. Shadowfax list. I think the restriction is pretty real because you have to figure out well, well, what has three or less power, but also is good enough that I want to be cheating it out. So you'll have like mm-hmm. creatures with double strike, shadow. You'll have creatures that say they have three power, but or less power, but they come in with counters or they're bigger based on like what else is going on on the board. So I think the list is going to look like this hodgepodge of just beaters. But that's so appealing to look at because that's just going to look like some draft deck that you just pummel people with <laughs> and they've just got your silly little horse sneak attacking them in. It, it looks very exciting. It, make, it looks like it's going to make for extremely memorable games. Yeah. All right. Well, with the time that we have remaining, uh, let's highlight some of the uh, just interesting cards that are, are printed in this uh, in this set, the ones that you think really stand out. And I think one thing that I want to talk about right off the bat is the basic land cyclers. There's a cycle of one in each color of uh, creatures that basic land cycle for just one generic mana, which is the cheapest we've seen this effect yet. Um, And the thing that's really nice is all of them are also just decent cards that if you have them later in the game, like they're decent payoffs. Uh, So examples of these cards are the Eagles of the North in white, Generous Int in green, Lorian Revealed in blue, Oliphant in red, and uh, a Cave Troll in mm-hmm. black. I can't remember the, the name of yes. it off the top of my head. But, it um, is the Troll of Khazad Doom. Khazad Doom. Khazad Doom. Yeah, so it's a so, six mana, six power creature that can't be blocked except by three or more creatures, so it's practically an unblockable six five uh, that worst case of scenario swamp cycles i 
so you undersold it a little bit. It's better than just basic land cycling because it cycles for the typed land, which is a rate we have never seen for one mana, which is, it's incredible because the absolute floor of this card is they are just a typed basic land. They're just a tapped basic land, or we, we now have tapped dual lands at common, so you could cycle for those to color fix. So... I the way I want to look yeah. at these cards is less oh it, it it has a it has an effect on it and if you don't need it you just cycle it. Well, if you've played a lot with the 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 modal double face cards from Zendikar Rising, where the floor of them is you just play them as a tapped land, that's what all of these are. They just don't have that second side. And if yeah, anything, yeah, it's got upside because mm-hmm, a Lorian revealed in particular. Is there's not a lot of cards I think you could just cut a land for and put it in the list. This is one of those cards because not only does it just get you an island, not only does it just fix, not only will it draw you some cards when you're flooding later in the game or you have nothing else going on, but also it gets Mystic Sanctuary, which is a great value piece. It's a combo piece. It's just one of those cards where if you have a Mystic Sanctuary in your deck and you have a Lorian Reveal in your deck, you're just going to be able to have so much more flexibility at such a low deck building cost. And we see yeah, this a little yeah. bit in the the other land cyclers as well. Like the trolls is just a good reanimation target. It's perfectly reasonable just to put it in the deck and cycle it and maybe get it back later. Um Oliphant yeah. is real solid because it's a big beater. It's a six four trampler, but when it attacks it also gives another creature plus two plus oh and trample, so it pushes damage later in the game. For uh, sure, the jund ones are the ones that really excite me, but I think they're going to see yeah. play in a lot of lists when you're just trying to tweak the deck to be a little bit better and have a little bit more punch. Yeah, I think you're you're right on it that we should look at these like the modal double face cards, and I pretty much play Colony Ambush and Balaged Recovery in every green deck. I play Malakir rebirth in every black deck so um yeah the the fact that the floor is a tapped a tapped land well you tap one of your lands to put an untapped basic from your deck into you know so um yeah so i think those are just really spicy and all previous land cyclers have been two mana so it's been a real cost but at one mana you know, Ash Barons is definitely one of the most played color fixers in the format, and so this is like Ash Barons plus, <laughs> yes. uh, in, the, yes. in the respective it's... colors. Oh. They're very bananas. There's a couple cards that I could just go through and highlight too that are real notable because they're things things that are either direct improvements to what we already have, or they're just a new card in that color. Um, okay. So I have a little order list here up if I could just go through for a moment. Yeah, uh, go like, for it. We have the big one that saw a lot of buzz online, and we'll see multi-format play is Reprieve, which mm-hmm. it's a remand, which is one in a blue counterspell, put it back in its owner's hand draw card, except it's in white. So now you have this tempo cantrip counterspell available outside of blue, which is just enormous. You you play this card, you're going to tempo hit someone, and you're, the only cost was two mana. It's not even a card slot, because you just can trip it immediately away. 
And it's just, it's one of those cards that will put in work. Remand is an incredibly messed up magic card because it just, you just bounce whatever theme. They can't recast that turn and you just move on with your life. And that person's set back way more than you're ever going to see. Yeah. And also you can always save one of your spells from being countered mm-hmm. with a reprieve as well. Yeah, pretty spicy. And it's technically even stronger than Remand because it just puts it back in hand. It doesn't even counter, so it gets around can't be countered clauses. It's Mm -hmm. just an extremely messed up magic card, which one of the metrics I like for Artisan is if a card is kind of messed up and sees multi-format play, or if it's banned in other formats, it's probably good enough to play in an Artisan EDH deck. (laughs) And Remand already has all those hallmarks. Right, yep. Add it to your deck with Skull Clamp and Demonic Tutor and <laughs> Sylvan Library, mm-hmm. which was not common originally. <laughs> uh, yeah, some, exactly. some banana stuff there. Yeah. So there's just a lot of little cards that don't necessarily deserve directly pointing out, but like they're just redundant effects of what we already have. Like Nasty End is one in a one in a black instant sack creature, draw two cards if it's legendary, draw two. Village rights are already very playable, so just getting one that has some upside is notable. And the deck's full mm-hmm. of stuff like this. It's also neat that it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, if you sack a creature, if you sack a legendary, you draw three. And we do have, um, I, I was, this set, because it actually has quite a lot of legendary matters, two things that are relevant there. One, it means there's probably at this point, enough Legendary Matters cards to make a Legendary Matters commander deck in Artisan. I mean, we have, like, mm-hmm. Arvod the Cursed in Orzov colors who pumps all Legendary creatures, so I think in, there's probably a strong Orzov Legendaries deck, in which case Nasty End is going to be great. But another relevant thing is the ring. Your ring bear becomes Legendary. So if the ring tempts you, you can make a little nerd uh, your ring bear and then sack it to nasty end to draw three cards and that seems like some pretty juicy value for sure a, a card that's uh that stands out to me for this format that's pretty new is a legendary artifact called the stone of eric or erich it's a one cost mm-hmm. legendary artifact if a creature an opponent controls would die exile it instead and then it has pay to tap sack it exile target player's graveyard draw card so this card is kind of a bananas hate piece. Um, Artisan, probably one of the strongest deck choices in Artisan is Aristocrats. There's just a lot of Aristocrats combos. I mean, the one we were talking about earlier with uh, Murderous Redcap just gets completely shut down by Stone of Eric. Um, LSL Core gets shut down by Eric. There's just a lot of things that would get shut down by it. That's just such a strong effect for one colorless. And the fact that you can then baseline cycle it away for two more mana um, is pretty huge. And it's also cool that because it exiles target player's graveyard, if you draw it early, obviously you slam it down. None of your opponents are getting a graveyard, mm-hmm. but you get to because mm-hmm. it doesn't exile your stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you draw it late game and some reanimator deck is setting up for the win, then blam, the stone just screws them too. So this just seems like maybe a format staple. It'd be hard for me not to want to play this in just about any artisan deck. Pretty much any EDH deck should already want to run Graveyard Hate one to two pieces because you you usually lose to people recurring their best thing or presenting some sort of loop that involves the graveyard as a field of zone of play for that. So having both and kind of anti having both like an anti reanimate 
and anti-catch-all graveyard hate is real strong. Uh, Art's good. It just, it will stop people from winning the game. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, a card I think is also a big player that a lot of people are talking about for other formats also is Merkwood Bats. Uh, yes. So it's a four mana, two, three flyer. When you create or sacrifice a token, each opponent's lose one. So this is pretty huge. Already um, the agent, uh, what's his face's agent? Uh, starts with an N. Uh, Nadir's agent, that's what it is. Agent of yes. Nadir or something mm-hmm. like that from the very first Commander mm-hmm. Legend. Or, uh, yeah, Commander Legends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good card in this format. It's a, It costs one less mana, but it only triggers when you sack a token. But that card is very good if you're playing a token creature-based deck or even treasures. Like, the fact that this triggers off treasures is huge. But so Merkwood Bats does that. But also when you create them, which is just like... <laughs> there's going to be regular That's power good. commander decks where people are going to play Merkwood Bats and follow it up with, a, like, a Dockside res- Extortionist. And everyone's going to be like, are we all mm-hmm. dead? <laughs> Uh, but you can definitely you can definitely do a lot of that style effect here i mean obviously mirkwood bats seems good in a food deck seems good in any creature tokeny deck um clearly great in a in a treasure deck yeah i you you're making treasure you're making tokens you're in black put it in wins games (laughs) yeah also as a complete aside with the card the fact that it's just a 2-3 flyer is going to stop people from alpha striking you way more than you'll think. Because it's just... Stuff in the air will tend to gum up the board way more effectively. So even if you don't have your token makers out yet, you want to get it down first before you start making tokens if you can. It's just... It's a very good creature. It's 4 mana, so it's very fair. I don't think anyone's going to complain about it without another card breaking it but it's a sweet card. Yeah, you bring up a good point. For people who are new to the format, there are not a lot of board wipes in uh, in the Artisan format. So in general, it does feel a lot more battle cruisery. People tend to build up big armies. There are selective chip damage going on and then sometimes big alpha strikes, but it makes the evasion mechanics, especially flying, Mm-hmm. are so much stronger than they even feel in regular power commander because like you'll just get run over if you don't have creatures with reach or creatures mm-hmm. with flying people are going to be chipping in at you and if each of your opponents has a flyer and you're the open person especially if there's any reason to attack you uh other like if you have mm-hmm. the initiative or the monarch <laughs> or something like you're not going to be keeping that for long um I think that's something else that I liked about Legolas is it makes me want to play both the initiative and monarch cards because Legolas himself is good at protecting it, being able to untap and have reach. Um, so, uh, I'm excited card- to see what this Legolas list is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm hyped. It'll be if you want to check it out. It'll be up on the Artisan Discord. Make sure to join it. We have the join link in the description below. Um, we have a whole channel that's just devoted to people posting their deck lists and asking for feedback and stuff. So it's, and it's a really good community. I feel like it's a very supportive, uh, everyone's just exploring this brand new, well, you know, brand new, but it means with a pretty new untested format, we have basic general ideas about, oh, okay. Like Voltron is stronger than it is regular commander. Um, 
like aristocrats is really good. There's definitely certain combo lines. And if you have any questions about combo lines, Mavis is the person to go to because they are like cataloging it all the time. A, a card that I'm kind of hyped across a lot of different formats is Lost to Legend. Costs a white, white instant. Put target non-land historic permanent on top of its owner's library fourth from the top. So uh, historic permanents are artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. So for two white mana at instant speed, you get to just remove any legend, any commander, but also any artifact. And there's a lot of like combo-based artifacts. Like in response to someone trying to combo yeah. off with their Ashnod's altar, you just put it into their deck. And also because it's an instant, in response to you cracking a fetch lands like I'll use my Evolving Wilds or I'll use my Shire Terrace like in this, like, okay, well, I'll respond by <laughs> Lost to Legending your mm -hmm. uh, your commander <laughs> back to the command zone. And two, like, white-white to basically command zone, like, even in regular commander, like, most people do not want to wait the number of turns it's going to take for your Lost to Legend commander to come back. So it, it basically just command zones a commander at instant speed, uh, which is pretty huge. Yeah. I've been thinking about this card. Two mana, it's like it's hard to beat the rate of swords and paths as premium removal spells. Not hitting mm -hmm. just only hitting basically commanders and artifacts is rough. Cause this is basically it's a disenchant, but instead of hitting an enchantment, it's gonna hit a commander. Which is a very playable card, but I'm curious if it's an auto-include. Because it just it doesn't quite hit like the big threat that isn't the commander if people are just playing big creatures or like non-legendary combo pieces. But it's it's so intriguing. It's like it's right on the cusp of being in of just going in anyway, which when you're being compared to swords and path, that's a pretty good place to be. <laughs> yeah. It's very when good. I feel like this card's <laughs> I feel like this card's stock gets a lot better as like Wizards has been continually printing more and more good legendary creatures. So I find a lot of my commander decks, even when they have no legend matters whatsoever, because the drawback of legends is essentially eliminated in commander because you're singleton format anyway. I feel like a lot of my decks now are filled with legendary creatures just because they're also great creatures. So, um, yeah. Uh, and notable for this format, it also will can target any ring bearer since they will be legendary. That is very notable. That's neat. Um, so there are three cards. They all appear alphabetically in the same mm -hmm. <laughs> in order, and I think they are all pretty strong. They are Ring Sight, Rise of the Witch King, and Rising of the Day. So Ring Sight costs one, a blue, and a black. It's mm -hmm. a sorcery. The ring tempts you. Then, search your library for a card that shares a color with a legendary creature you control, reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle. Uh, so because the ring tempts you, it makes one of your creatures mm -hmm. legendary. So as long as you control any mm -hmm. creature, you can uh, you can just kind of essentially demonic tutor for that creature's colors. Yeah. You also get a free ring temptation, which, is, you know, we've already talked about some little bonuses you get from that. But it's just a very solid uh, tutor plus ring temptation effect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Rise of the Witch King costs two, a black, and a green for a sorcery. Each player sacrifices a creature. If you sacrificed a creature this way, you may return another permanent from your graveyard to the battlefield. Any permanent. It, no matter the cost, 
it can it can bring back lands, it can bring back creatures, big enchantments, all sorts of stuff. I like, wow. Can't wait to make some nonsense Chundry animator list that brings out a god pharaoh statue on turn three. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Bananas. Bananas, <laughs> what this thing can do. I mean, there are like you know, you can cycle a Titan off Rex mm-hmm. and then just get it back. Um, yeah. You know, That's I have a sweet. slime foot, the stowaway artisan deck that I'm super stoked to play Rise of the Witch King. Like, yes, I will sack a Sapperling token and get, uh, you know, one of my big fungus or one of my combo pieces uh, back, like Moldervine Reclamation. Sure. It's, it's also just incidentally a fleshback marauder. Like, mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. have to make like it interacts with the board while you're reanimating, which is not something we see very often. Yeah, it's a sweet card. <laughs> yeah, and then Rising of the Day is very spice. It's two and a red enchantment creatures you control have haste, mm-hmm. and legendary mm-hmm. creatures you control get plus one power. So. It's fervor, which has been only rare, so we get an uncommon fervor. Uh, I mean, we had uncommon versions of it with like in like gruel colors and stuff. I think I don't know if we had any mono red ones. I mean, we had like anger and stuff like that. Um, but so this is just nice that it's just yeah. a blanket red enchantment. Your creatures have haste, mm-hmm. and your legendary creatures get a little bit better. It's strong. <laughs> haste is extremely good. Yeah, my respect and appreciation from Haste have gone way up as a result of playing Commander. Um, when you're in a multiplayer format, like nothing's mm-hmm. worse than casting a creature and having it essentially do nothing and waiting the board to get around because it's so nerve wracking. Like this board could get wiped, this creature could just get killed. Like, what if this creature does nothing except time walk me? Yeah, no, it's sweet. It's like I'm already at a point for, for most lists. If you care about Haste, you have Greaves, you have Boots. You have anger if you could think you could get it in the graveyard, and that's kind of where the list stops without getting to cards that are off-rate. So mm-hmm. three mana, permanent haste, sticks around after board wipes, generally won't draw a target to it because it's not doing very much else that seems impactful while it actually is. And it's great. It's going to be real solid. Also, that one power is relevant for commanders because it pushes up Voltron damage. You don't think one power is going to make a difference, but the difference between six and seven is a whole turn cycle. Right, totally. And like we've talked about a few creatures, like obviously giving haste to Shadowfax is not important because Shadowfax already has haste, but that one power is relevant. And if you're playing a Shadowfax Mm -hmm. deck, you obviously want to be able to attack with your creatures as soon as possible. So giving haste to all your other creatures uh, seems real good. Um, Jumping back just a moment um, before we move too far away, I want to highlight a really important element of Reinsight being Mm -hmm. basically a... So it's Demonic Tutor, but it's restricted to Demir and you need a creature on the board and you reveal. But it's still just a three-mana tutor. But since it's not called Demonic Tutor, people are going to be way more friendly when you use it. Because Demonic Tutor has this reputation where you're like, I do this and I cast Demonic Tutor and then I do this and it's like, oh, 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 we're tutor gamers now. And it's like, it <sighs> it changes the dynamic of a casual game. Reinsight just doesn't have that. It doesn't have the reputation. It's going to functionally do pretty much the same thing, 
but since you reveal and since it's a month an additional mana and since you need a creature on board no one's gonna sit there and think oh you won the game because you ran a tutor they're gonna be like oh okay you just it's a card it's so it's like it's socially stronger than demonic tutor and also it won't cost you 40 dollars so it's yeah that's very a good notable. point about the social dynamics behind it yeah yeah that makes that's like a, a good point and yeah because like you're doing something goofy you have to like the ring tempts me and this guy because of my ring bearer and now i'm going to search my deck for a red card or whatever you know it's um, all null and void if you combo and win the game immediately but if you're just trying to run casual tutors stuff like green sight is the way to do it yeah a couple other cards that I just wanted to highlight before mm-hmm. we get here to the end. So Spellslinger is definitely a viable strategy. Uh, I have a um, Torwalkie the Younger deck. Torwalkie is pretty popular in the format. Um, and there are a couple new cards that are really great for Spellslinger. One of them is Erebor Flamesmith, who's just another uh, gutter snipe uh, type creature. Like when you cast... You cast instance or sorceries, it pings each opponent. A great solid effect, so now there's just one more of those you get to play. And then there's Fiery Inscription, which is an enchantment that costs two and a red. When it enters the battlefield, it's an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. And then whenever you cast an instance or sorcery, it deals two damage to each opponent. So it's a gutter snipe that can't be killed very easily, being an enchantment, and it has that ring tempting you bit, uh... And um, pretty spicy, like uh, the the amount of uh, triggers that trigger off of spell cast, like you're definitely reaching a critical mass where I think if they keep printing any more of these like Airborne Flamesmiths, Fiery Inscriptions, you're going to actually get to start picking and choosing the best ones (laughs) and not just playing all eight or nine of them that we have now. So this had me go in and actually total how many there were, because split between... They're going to be mostly red, and then you'll get a couple that are like, is it? And I mocked up a list because I'm chomping at the bit for a teamer uncommon commander, so I could combo them with curiosity and keen sense and draw cards every time you cast an instant. So I mocked up the list, and there's about 13 of these effects right now that trigger off of either instant or sorcery or non-creature spell. Which is, it's enough to make the deck, and I think it's like three short of consistently hitting that effect every single game. But they just printed two of them, so it's real exciting to see that we're going to most likely keep getting more in the future as well. Yeah, Torwalkie is definitely hyped for both of these cards. And uh, yeah, Wizards, if you're listening out there, we really hope that you get us some uh, three-color wedge uncommons soon. That'd be really sweet to just get a, a teamer, Abzan... Mardu and such uh, legend in the near future. It's a thing that actually, like, if you're interested in this format, it's it's something that allows you to see every spoiler season through two lenses. Um, like New Capenna, when New Capenna came out, uh, the broader Magic community didn't really care about the uncommon three-color legends, but over on the Discord, people, we were all losing our minds. <laughs> we were so excited to be like oh man now we can build an esper <laughs> deck like mm-hmm. how do we win with quasa the most effectively like you know there are people who are still like <laughs> mr orfeo crushes face 
the Discord has like seven Mr. Orpheo lists because every single time you want to do something jund, Mr. Orpheo is just good enough. It's great. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, you'll get jund and it's funny, like jund big smashy. It's just... <laughs> yeah, like that's mm-hmm. pretty much like you... You also don't really know, like, when someone's like, hey, this is my Rocco Cabaretti Caterer deck, you're just like, okay, well, I don't know exactly what that means, because Rocco's also the only Naya commander, and Rock, like, I'm glad, like, Wizards, if you're listening, I appreciate how open-ended the five you gave us are. They don't really require you to play a specific way. So yeah, so mm-hmm. Mr. Orpheo is just also a decent Jun commander, he, uh, same thing with Quasa, like, you're going to be drawing cards, so how about you draw, drain some life when you do it, you know? <laughs> I think we're we're coming to the end here. Are there any uh, other cards that you felt like you really wanted to highlight? This is an incredibly specific honorable mention, but sure. I've been having a lot of fun with the Jasmine Boreal of the Seven deck, which cares about vanilla creatures, they wizards more or less stopped printing vanilla creatures up until like Yargle and Multani, which at this point is not a vanilla creature. It's just a win condition. Um, <laughs> right. But combo piece. They, <laughs> they printed exactly, but they printed new two new vanilla creatures this set, which the one that I care about is Knight of the Keep. It's two and a white. It's just a three, two human knight. It's got very pretty flavor text, but the fact that Wizards has been mindful enough to go back and be like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll throw in another vanilla creature when we haven't seen one in standard for a while now until Yar- Yargle and Multani, which is a rare and wouldn't even work anyway. It's just a nice little honorable mention. It's a vanilla, so it's not even like it's stronger than what I'm running, but it makes it in the list because it's a fun reminder that, you know, we might get more in the future. So that makes me real happy. All right, well... Uh, this has been the first time that we've done a uh, artisan uh, commander mm-hmm. set conversation for a bit. We haven't had a whole lot of uh, uncommon legends in the recent years. There was like an uncommon Urza, an uncommon mm-hmm. Mitra, and an uncommon Lauren in the Brothers War set. Um, but the last time we talked about it was in Dominary United because we got some decent ones there. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're both big fans of artisan and really hope that y'all give it a shot. I it's fun for brewers. I think it's fun for anyone who likes limited formats like draft. Part of what pulled me into it is like, if there's a draft format where there was like a draft architect that you really loved, especially if it came out in the last five or six years, there's probably a legend that was part of like a signpost into that draft archetype. So if you like blue white flyers, there are several blue white flyers, viable commanders for the, for the set. If you want mm-hmm. Racto sacrifice, I mean, obviously, Jury, it's almost a joke over on the server that Jury Master of the Review just combos with practically every Rakdos card they print. Um, so if you like Rakdos Sacrifice, uh, Jury's your guy. Like, Jury will never disappoint. Um, but there's a, a lot of times people also are concerned about how limited the number of commanders are, but clearly Wizards is printing a lot more all the time. And the number of viable commander options are actually deceptively higher because we have uh, like 40 partners, partners backgrounds, and backgrounds um, choosing up a lot of color pairings. Yeah, mm-hmm. so between the partners and the backgrounds, there's like an additional 600 possible combinations than what you see when you just do a gatherer search. 
So uh, the the format is it's definitely wide and interesting. There's lots of viable archetypes. And so if you if you like a deck building challenge, if your play group is interested in a deck building challenge, it's also nice that it's pretty cheap. I mean, we've been talking about some of the all-star cards that happen to be uncommons like Sylvan Library and Demonic Tutor, but you certainly don't have to play them. So it's nice to also have commander decks that you can you can build a viable artisan commander deck for under you know 10 bucks under 15 bucks and you can also gift them to people because they um will be cheap and very viable i mean like ellis ilcor doesn't have to play busted cards to be a very strong i i will hold my own at a commander table deck because uh, aristocrats is good in both regular power commander and artisan commander all right. Well, I really want to thank uh, Mavis. Mavis, do you have any closing thoughts on the uh, the Lord of the Rings set? Set sweet. Uh, it's a complete flavor win. The cards are really mechanically strong and represented and fun and ask interesting questions. So I'm sure there's been some some jokes where it's like, like, oh, this is like an artisan's master set, and it kind of genuinely does feel like that. It's been a long time since we've had a set have so many standouts. Usually, it's like five to seven cards a set are maybe worth talking about. And this is just like, nope, it's it's the whole set. We didn't have time to talk about just all of the little effects that make the decks oh, better. Yeah. So yeah, listeners, if you're interested in seeing... Long... Oh, so yeah, sorry. I was saying, like, listeners, <laughs> we, I have a long list of cards that I was like, we could talk about this, we could talk about this, talk about this, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm mindful of our time. Um, but yes, this this set is a very high batting average for comments and uncommons that I'm like, oh, I can play that card. Oh, that one seems nice. Mm-hmm. That seems good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put together an order list, and it ended up incidentally being like 120 cards. Every third card, I'm like, well, I could get two of these. I could use four <laughs> copies of these. I could use this. Mm-hmm. Like, granted, I have a lot of artist index that I plan to update, but it's ordering half the set is a good indicator that it's solid. But if you're interested in these kind of in-depth, nitty-gritty conversations about like how to really make these decks hum, especially if you're trying to punch up for like a casual EDH level, which is where I tend to play at with my artisan lists, definitely def- check out the Discord. We've got a real active community there. We're constantly posting new decks and figuring out the format so that we're all kind of elevating our own ability as brewers, and it's just a good time. Yeah. All right, well... uh I really want to thank Mavis for stepping in this week and helping me uh, host this special episode of the MM Cast. Uh, the guys will be back next week, um, same MM Cast channel. And uh, yeah, let us know in the comments if you're excited about Artisan, um, think about giving it a shot, or uh, if you're new, if you're brand new, this is the first time you're hearing about it, please let us know. We're always excited to hear about how people find the format because it's it's very exciting it's just a lot of fun and uh we look forward to playing some games against you uh for the event cast i'm marshall uh and we'll uh, see you next week this has been a production of time traveler media sending podcasts into the future